So yesterday at this time, we were talking about the U.S. building an airport in Australia capable of housing B-52 bombers, much to the chagrin of the Chinese government. Our guest at the time, John Gretzner, was saying, uh, he's with Canadian Global Affairs Institute, was saying, uh, you know, it's another example of countries being proactive and anticipating potential threats and, you know, getting in a position to respond before anything happens. Uh, he talked about how Canada never seems to do this, went through a long list of areas that we are neglecting, from defense spending to Arctic security. I mean, the, we've gone through them, right? Well, he's not alone in his assessment, not by any stretch. Our next guest has also seen some issues with Canada's defense. Matt Gurney is a columnist and co-founder of The Line and wrote a great piece on this, and he's joining us now. Matt, thanks for your time. I appreciate you being here. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's really, you know, in, in your piece in the line, you, you talk about how Canada really likes to talk the talk on a bunch of this stuff, especially when we're on the world stage. You know, we, we talk a big game, but we don't even attempt to follow it up by walking the walk, do we? No. And, you know, I don't mean to make this partisan immediately because on defense, this is a long-standing problem. Yeah. Canada yeah. loves to talk about, you know, Vimy Ridge and Juno Beach and founding member of NATO, and then our allies look at us. They're like, "Great, can you chip in another battalion?" And we go, "No." <laughs> There's nothing new about this, and this is not a uh, uniquely liberal problem. That being said, we do have now a federal government that has been in power for seven years under Justin Trudeau, and without wanting to make this totally partisan, I think it's fair after someone's been in power for seven years to start asking what has happened during those seven years. And I think as well it's important to look at what's happened specifically in the last eight or nine months, kind of in the immediate run-up uh, to the invasion of Ukraine and obviously all of the um, yeah. uh, political brinksmanship before it. And as I wrote in my column, there actually is some good news of a kind, but like the good news has a huge asterisk that needs to come alongside of it here. Since Russia invaded Ukraine, and since we heard all this really, really, really tough talk from the Liberals, Prime Minister uh, Christian Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, Anita Anand, the new National Defense Minister, they're all saying the right things. And then I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like, let's look at what they've actually done. Right. And there is the good news. And the good news is we have announced some major necessary initiatives. We have announced that we'll replace the uh, the elderly CF-18 jets older than their pilots. Uh, they'll be replaced with F-35s. We've announced that with the Americans, we'll be modernizing NORAD's system of continental defenses. Finally, we agreed to buy the Army new pistols. They won't have to use their World War II-era pistols anymore. But this is all good, right? But sure. the problem is, as I said in the column, it's also just doing the absolute bare minimum. Like, all of these things should have been done 10 years ago. In some cases, they should have been done 20, maybe 30 years ago here. So I do give credit to the government for actually making some moves on these important public policy files. But they're 30 years behind, and they're only getting Canada caught up to where we should have been circa 2005, not where we're going to need to be in 2025, 35, and 45. That's the thing. We're not, I mean, we, we go on and we talk about some of the things that we need to do and some of the advances we need to make, and even just on spending. Um, but basically, we're just barely managing to maintain in some areas. We're not actually improving uh, our defensive capabilities. No, no. And I think if we're being honest here, and this is the problem, and this is, again, 
I'm dragging politics into the realm of defense, but unfortunately that you can't separate them here. This is a problem we have in this country, and we have it at the federal level, we have it at provincial levels. I don't know about your local municipal scene, but sure as hell we have it at the Toronto level as well. Politicians will show up, they'll make an announcement, and then they'll reap the benefits, right? Like, all of the benefits are in the saying and the announcing yes. rather than doing and the accomplishing. So what we have here is, again, the Liberals, I know what they're going to do. Like, I can tell you without even reading the press releases, they're going to talk up the pistols. They're going to talk up NORAD. They're going to talk up the F-35s. But there actually is a really basic test that we as Canadians need to start applying to our politicians. And again, this is at every level. Is the situation getting better? And it's a really simple, easy, easy test. So with the armed forces, we've had the government announce some major spending initiatives. Awesome. Is the military better off? No, it's not. And you know, this is the problem. And it, the politicians are going to stick the price tag for the F-35 purchase in the press releases. They're going to talk about our great relationship with the United States in the NORAD press releases. And they're not going to talk about the fact that our Canadian Armed Forces is in a state of crisis. And they're talking about that. The, 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 the forces themselves are saying, hey, we're overwhelmed here. If you know what to look for, because look, I mean... In interpreting how soldiers and sailors and air crew talk is sort of like how reporters have to get used to how cops talk. Like they kind of talk in their own little language and you gotta, you gotta speak cop or you gotta speak military. But the military has been warning us for years that it is in a state of crisis, that it does not have the ability to accomplish all of the missions that has been assigned to it. It does not have enough equipment. It does not have enough money. And critically, it doesn't have the people. And that's yeah. what we're dealing with here right now, the Canadian Armed Forces. The Armed Forces have a nominal authorized strength of about 100,000 people. That's a little bit over, just over 100,000. That probably is kind of small for a country our size and with our land mass and all of our different treaty obligations. But even if that was the right number, we don't have 100,000 people. We have budgetary room to have 100,000 people. But the latest report from the military, and this just came out a few weeks ago, is that the military is under strength by about 12,000 people. Hey, we can be optimists here and we can say, well, great, it has 88% of its authorized strength. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. As we're seeing in hospitals all across the country right now, what happens to a hospital when it has 88% of the necessary number of nurses? It fails. Our military is failing because we are not staffing it correctly. The, thing, the question I always ask when we talk, and I agree with everything that you're saying, Matt, I'm right there with you. The question I have, though, is I've covered elections in this country for longer than I like to remember, and defense rarely, if ever, becomes an issue among the electorate. We talk about health care. We talk about all kinds of other issues. We as Canadians don't seem to stand up and say to our governments, hey, what are you doing on defense? Are we giving them a pass, or have government sold us that, that everything's okay? I mean, how do we get movement on this? Canadians don't care about defense no. in the same way that the rich kid you grew up with didn't care about balancing a checkbook. 
he never developed the skill set that he never had to. Right. Yep. And, you know, I was saying to a friend recently, you remember, this is, this is going back, blast from the past, but from, from one broadcaster and journalist to another, I bet you you're going to remember this. That American judge in the United States who let a guy off after he killed a family in an impaired driving uh, crash, and he let him off on grounds of affluenza. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and then he took off to Mexico, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. The kid that was so rich that he had no concept of reality, which was actually what the judge ruled. Canada, as a civilization, has a nasty case of affluenza. (laughs) We are rich, safe, comfortable, happy, and we really don't appreciate the fact that what we're living in here is a quirk of historical forces we did not create and cannot control, and also we won the geographic lottery. Exactly. And we posted I, I, on that. Yeah. And the problem is, is I always joke, you know, one of, my, one of my good friends out your way in Alberta, Jen Gerson, she said years ago, it only takes money about three or four generations to ruin a family. Because you've got the guy who made it, values it, knows how to use it, is well-adjusted, knows what the world is like. His kids, eh, yeah, they're a little bit spoiled, but they're still close enough to the old man that they know, hey, you know, he had to work really hard and they've absorbed those lessons. The grandkids are getting kind of flaky and the great grandkids are just write offs. They are so far removed from reality that they don't even know it exists. Yep. Canada right now is in its third or fourth generation of this post Second World War winning streak of peace and prosperity that we did not create and did not earn, but we benefited from it. And after almost 80 years, I mean, more than 80 years of post-Second World War, um, uh, peace, prosperity, plenty, safety, security, Canadians think this is just the way the world is. And hey, it has been for them. But we don't understand that we're living through this incredible blessing, this incredible fluke of history. And it's not guaranteed to last. Well, that's the thing, Matt. I mean, you, you don't have to look too hard to see the cracks in that peace and prosperity that we've enjoyed for so long. I mean, you can see what's happening. The United States has changed their stance on geopolitical things. China, you never know what's going on with them. They've started to talk more about security. You've got the situation in that part of the world. You've got the situation in Ukraine. That peace, that prosperity, that comfort we've enjoyed for so long, you can see it starting to fray. Yeah, and I know it's hard to convince Canadians that, like, the Russians are going to land troops in British Columbia. They're having a hard time landing troops across the river in Ukraine right now, but... (laughs) I think what we've been seeing these last eight or nine months is how interconnected the world is. Canadians are going to have a really tough winter, and I don't think the public is clued into this yet. The cost of your energy, your home heating, your fuel, your food is going to be way up this year. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But a big one of those things is something that is happening halfway around the world in yeah. Central Europe. Yeah. Like, we don't have the luxury of considering ourselves here a complete island. You know, it would be great if this rich and bountiful land of ours was really self-sufficient in everything. Right now, we can't even get children's Tylenol stocked up in pharmacies here. We are dependent on global trade with a world that is becoming a nastier, more violent, less stable and angrier place. What are we doing about this thus far? Not literally nothing, but pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. Well, we, you know, like you talked about the neighborhood getting nastier. We've heard Canadian government officials say that and tell us that, hey, things are changing out there. We, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And like you say, not a whole lot. That's the concern. 
Yep, that's what keeps me up at night. Well, I mean, in fairness, there's a lot of things keeping me up at night. <laughs> that's one of them. Matt, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.